Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, part 21 of our series on the book of Philippians, Letters from Prison. Today we're going to be dealing with the subject of rejoicing in God, anxiety, and peace. I think you'll find that these words written hundreds of years ago are still quite relevant to the things that we're facing in our lives today. Also, just a quick reminder that on July 9th, we're going to kick off Bag Hunger, our annual outreach to benefit the Covington Food Bank, where we'll be distributing some 1,200 bags in the Covington, Mandeville, and Abita Springs area uh, to collect groceries. So if you'd like to help out with that, just sign up, let us know, we'd love to have you out there. Well, let's head to the talk, downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard. We're in part 21 of our series on the book of Philippians. I see the end in sight. I think, I think we've got about four more weeks on this and, and we'll be done. But uh, part 21, today's message is on Philippians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul, writing from a Roman prison to his church in Philippi, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thus far in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul has written about peace in in many different ways. He actually starts off the book with grace and peace. Uh, He he starts out with talking about the peace of Christ. That that, that kind of sets the tone of it. And so there's the peace of God in that sense. But he also, a lot of this letter, if you haven't noticed, uh, it's, it's about peace in our relationships with one another, that we would walk in humility and love with one another, prefer other people. And now Paul moves from that kind of peace to the peace that is on the inside. He talks about a peace that is available to us in Christ that will guard our hearts and minds. You know, I, playing guitar, uh, I, I played several instruments, but my least proficient instrument that I play is electric guitar. You don't see me doing a whole lot of fancy stuff on electric guitar, but when I play certain gigs, it'll come time for me to occasionally I'll do a guitar solo. And I'm not a big fan of doing guitar solos because I use up about all my licks in, in about 10 seconds. And, uh, uh, but I found something playing music, but it's not just true for music, it, for, for a lot of things, that there's a tendency when you play something that you're nervous about to get all tense, or maybe maybe probably a way that non-musicians would get it. If you've ever had to speak in front of people before and it's a terrifying thing and if you're all tensed up on the inside, it comes across, right? It's like uh, people notice it. And, and, and I've noticed when I'm, I'm like really anxious about the guitar solo I'm about to play, I will just destroy it because I'm all tense. I'm analytical. Uh, I'm in this place of just frozen up. The place that, that I need to be, if you, and actually if you watch the you know, the best musicians around, you'll notice that they're incredibly relaxed. Their posture isn't all stiff and things like that. It's just flowing. It's, it's, it's a place of rest and peace. Even people that speak, even people that play football or dance or whatever, that, that 
the skill, the skills that we need to, to participate in, that the, the way you do that is not by being tense and tight and uptight. You do it from a state of relaxation. Actually, see you guys. <laughs> uh, actually, when, when it comes to prayer here at the Vineyard, I, I have to say that many of my years in church, when it came time for ministry time, I, I kind of was in a lot more charismatic things. And, and ministry time, and a lot of the churches I was in, was when somebody comes up for prayer, that's the time where you start, you know, getting excited and, and stirring it up. And, and, and you're hoping that, that, that by getting excited and into it, that, that God will show up that way. And, and you're almost coming at it from a place of tension. What I learned in the vineyard, and, and what we even do here, is, is that, that when we pray for people... It's not the time to get tense. It's not the time to try to force something to happen. It's the time to dial it down and just say, come Holy Spirit. God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Because, I mean, if, any, if, if anything is actually going to happen in prayer, if you're actually going to get healed or, or God's going to touch you, that's not going to be me. And if it just happens to be an emotional response for me, that's not going to last uh, very long. It'll be over after Applebee's. Uh, <laughs> So Paul wants us to end up into a place of, of peace, a kind of peace that transcends our understanding that's, that guards our heart. So Paul ends with peace, but he starts with rejoicing. Now, the root word, the, the word that's translated rejoice and actually translated joy in some places in Philippians is the root word is caro, and it means gift. And rejoicing is being aware of the gift of life, being aware of breath, being aware that all of life is a gift. It's a gift. You have love in your life. It's a gift. You have breath this morning. It's a gift. You are here this morning. You're above ground. Gift. See, I think a lot of people think of rejoicing. I've heard scriptures on rejoice you know you just need to rejoice when you're going through trials and stuff and in my early years as a christian i always kind of thought of this as like uh, you got to kind of have this pep rally on the inside like you know my marriage is falling apart i just lost my job i can't pay rent but bless god hallelujah thank you lord uh and it it, it always seemed kind of weird to me and that's not what paul's getting at do, do we have any monty python fans here oh no <laughs> <laughs> I, I find with, with Monty Python, there's, there's no middle ground. There's not like anybody, oh, I kind of like Monty Python. It's like you either love it or you hate it. But um, in, in, in the movie, the, the fine cinematic masterpiece, uh, Search for the Holy Grail, there is this scene. And, and, and those of you who like that movie can probably repeat it verbatim like a kid with a, an animated flick. Uh, but, but King Arthur is on this quest for the grail, and he comes to this place where he encounters the Black Knight. And the Black Knight, you know, basically says, uh, you, you know, you, you got to fight me if you're going to get past me. And so Arthur fights him, and, and in a matter of a, a few moments, he lops off one of his arms. And, and the knight was like, is that all you got? You know, didn't hurt. Just a flesh wound. And, and then he, he cuts off his other arm. And so he's kind of around there. He's got you know, blood square. I, I didn't bring the clip this morning because I thought it might be a little bit. So he's like, he's like didn't hurt. Is that this all you got? And, and the guy's like, come on, really? You know, he's like, what are you going to do? Bleed on me? And then, then he cuts off his other leg. And the guy's hopping around. He's like, come on, come back and fight me. And uh, 
And then finally he cuts off his last leg and he's just, a, you know, the, the stump of a person on the ground. And, and he's still talking smack, you know, and he's still like, oh, that didn't hurt, you know. And when I see that, <laughs> I spit on you. <laughs> uh, I can't get y'all started. That's all the Monty Python you get today. Okay. <laughs> Not dead yet. Uh, uh, where was I? Oh, no, I'm derailed. <laughs> Now, but when I watch that clip, I can't help but think of a lot of Christians. I, I see people who they're facing horrible things in life. And they're just like that guy. But instead of saying, you know, just a flesh woman, it's like, hallelujah. Bless the Lord. God's on the throne. And, and, and it's and you're like. Dude, your, your life is a mess. You're, you're coming across and saying, oh, well, bless God, I'm, 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 I'm okay. And, and I think a lot of times when we say rejoice in the Lord, we, typically, we, we tend to think of it, it it's, it's like denial. It's like, la, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm perfect, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm blessed, whatever. And, and that's not what Paul's getting at. Paul is not getting at fake happiness. <laughs> He's not getting at just putting a good smile on it and soldiering on. What Paul is saying here, rejoicing, is stepping back from things and saying, everything that God is, is a gift. It's acknowledging God, rejoicing. It's, it's stepping back and receiving the gift. You know, I, I, I heard recently that your mind it, typical moment, 90% of what's going on in your mind is in your subconscious. Now, that's kind of scary, maybe, but it's a good thing because if you didn't have a whole lot of stuff going on in your subconscious, you couldn't drive <laughs> because if you're driving a car, you've got so much input coming at you. You know, you got things and you're trying to eat and listen to your iPod and talk on the phone and you got kids in the backseat fighting. If you didn't, if you weren't able to relegate a lot of stuff into the background of your mind, you wouldn't be able to function. You'd be paralyzed. You'd be sitting in there in the driveway like, ah, you know, it's too much information, but your mind a lot of it goes on in the subconscious. Like even right now in this room, there are things that you're not aware of. Like there's a clock that's ticking. And if you stop for a moment and listen, you might be able to hear it. There's the sound of fans. There's the sound of children playing. The sound of birds outside. All these things are going on, but are we aware of them? No. I mean, we, you, you walk into a room, you may hear a few things, but immediately your mind forces most things into the subconscious. What Paul's getting at here is God is always doing things all around you. There's a world where God is, is moving. God is always involved. We need to step back. Breathe. And become aware of what God's doing. Become aware of His gift. Become aware of the gift of life all around us. See, that's what rejoicing is. It's not, it's not a pep rally. It's not a self-help like, yeah, put a good face on it. It's even in the midst of trials and suffering and pain, it's stepping back and realizing that even in the midst of this, God is up to something. Even in the midst of this, 
It doesn't look like a church service. It doesn't look like anything fun. I don't hear angels singing. I, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. But even in the midst of this, God is doing something. See, Paul is refusing to operate under the paradigm of the world. The worldly wisdom says you go to prison, you get bitter, you come out a hardened ex-criminal kind of person. Paul has been in jail at this point, moment for, for a long time in this cold Roman prison where he has to rely on the goodness of friends to even bring him food. Because Rome, for all their glory, they wouldn't feed their prisoners. So Paul is in a desperate situation. I can kind of understand. Like Paul, his whole life up to that point had been going around preaching, telling people about Jesus, starting churches. That, he was a very active person. And now he's locked up in a prison. Do you think Paul could have played the victim card? You think he had? I mean, he probably had a lot more excuse to become a victim than, than most of us. I mean... It looks like things are going bad, Paul. But Paul refuses to operate under that paradigm that, that I'm a victim. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not operating according to the wisdom of the world here. I'm not going to sit here in this prison cell and get bitter at Rome or Caesar or all the bad things that happened to me. I'm going to step back and realize that even in the midst of this prison cell, God can show up. That God's still at work. And so what does Paul do? We, if we rewind back to Philippians 1, Paul talks about there are members of the Praetorian Guard, the elite fighting force of Caesar, and Paul has been sharing the gospel with them, and now he's starting a church in prison <laughs> with Roman guards. That's rejoicing. See, joy and celebration in Paul's life are evidence of a particular kind of spiritual formation that has taken place. See, Paul has, he's, he's been through hard times. You think you've been through hard times? Paul's been, you know, he recounts his story and, and, and you know, he talks about being bit by a snake, being shipwrecked, you know, having people throw rocks at him to the point where they thought he was dead. He may have been dead, may have got resurrected. I, he's been run out of town. He's had people turn their backs on him. And all these churches that he's planted, he's had people show up along the way that try to turn folks away from Jesus. So Paul has all these bad things happening to him. He must not have believed in the pros- prosperity gospel. I guess that's all. Just, just didn't have enough faith, right? Paul just needed to, to, to believe a little bit harder and maybe things would work. No, that's not it. But Paul is rejoicing in God no matter where he's at. And he's realizing that no matter what the veil of reality looks like, there's a reality beyond that. And that's the reality of God's kingdom. And God's always up to something, even in the midst of struggles. You can look all throughout the, the Bible, whether it's Joseph, David, even folks like Abraham, even Jesus himself, the folks that have the greatest joy in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and throughout church history, the ones that, that had the richness of, of experience that they could actually give to other people, most of the time they're folks who've gone through incredible suffering. If you want to talk to somebody who, who's got joy, talk to somebody who's survived cancer. We've got one of those in here, right? You, you don't look at life the same way. You, you've, you've gone through something very hard and you come out on the other side and now you appreciate things that you, you might not have appreciated before. Everything is sweeter because you have made it through that. You've experienced God's goodness even in the midst of that. That's what Paul is going at. That even when things don't work out the way we want them to, even when there's sickness and disease and hard times and people turning their back on you and snake bites and getting stoned and, and getting put in prison, even in the midst of all that, 
you can experience the richness of God's presence. You can, you can rejoice in him. You can connect with God, and God can do something in you in the midst of that. I mean, Paul is evidence himself. I mean, hello, he wrote half the New Testament. So when Paul says rejoice, it's not a cliche. Just rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah, it's not a cliche. This rejoicing has been formed in the fire. Paul is saying there's a gift all around you. There's a gift all around you. Gift everywhere. Step back and realize it. Paul goes from there to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. When I can think of, when I think of adjectives I would like my wife to describe me, I would think of, you know, dashing, (laughs) brave, courageous, strong, better looking than Brad Pitt. (laughs) But one word I don't want folks to use on me is gentle. That Crispin, boy, he's a gentle guy. Any guys, does that do it for you? It's a weird, ah, I don't know, gentle. It sounds like, ah, you know. And Paul's telling the church, he's like, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. What is he saying? Like, like that people in the community would point at, at, at the Philippian church and say, wow, I've never, I've never run across such a gentle group. They're gentle. They're just, they're just gentle. It's like, what is that? Well, probably a better under, word to use better sense of understanding it would be forbearance it's an act of kindness where retaliation is expected an act of kindness where retaliation is expected somebody has done you wrong and you are expected to retaliate (laughs) but instead you show forth kindness you give mercy you're 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 compassionate okay That, that 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 Helps me understand it a little better. See, Paul is in prison. And Paul is kind of like, he would be kind of considered a political prisoner nowadays because he's been saying some treasonous statements towards Rome. Y'all are all familiar with the phrase, Jesus is Lord, right? Everyone agree with that? Okay, good. It was just a quiz. Just just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, we, we hear that phrase today, but it, it, as powerful as it is, it doesn't carry the same punch it would have in, in, in Paul's day. Because Paul is actually taking a phrase that was used in Roman propaganda. The, you know, as with empires and nations, there's always propaganda. And back in that day, the propaganda was Caesar is Lord and Savior. And so they would proclaim that. And they believed, the Roman army believed that peace was going to come through, through Caesar, that he was a prince of peace, that he would, he would bring forth, usher them into peace. Well, Roman peace, <laughs> it was kind of like they come into your area and they say, Barry, look, we got two options for you. You can become a Roman or we can crucify you. What, I think I'll go for uh, option number one. And so that was the way that they made peace. It was always at the end of the sword. And so Paul comes along and he says, no, Caesar's not Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's the true king, and every knee will bow to him, even the knee of Caesar. (laughs) Every knee. 
So when Paul makes these statements, it wasn't just some kind of religious language. He was intentionally adopting the language of the empire, and he was taking it from Caesar and putting it on Jesus. And so that's why he's locked up. He's in prison for those kinds of things. And Paul, when he's writing this, he's writing to Philippi, which I said a couple of weeks ago, it was a, it was a town that was a Roman colony that was originally put together out of Roman soldiers, veterans of war. It was so... Philippi was a very loyal city to Rome. It was, a, it was as, as, as Roman as you could get of a colony. They would follow along with it. So Paul, when he's writing, let your gentleness be evident to all, he's writing to a group of people who are going to have the opportunity to exchange anger for anger. A group of people who are going to have the opportunity to exchange hate for hate. And Paul is saying, look, I know what you're going through. I'm going through it here in this prison. And I got people who are mocking me. I got people who are doing me wrong, even Christians who are doing me wrong. But I'm telling you, don't go down that path. Let your gentleness, let your forbearance be known to all. Show kindness where retaliation is expected. Paul is trying to get them to see things in a much larger thing. In a, in a much li- it's not just about you and this person who's mocking you, you and this person who's, who's hating you and doing you injustice. There, there's a bigger picture going on. So Paul, Paul moves on from there. He says, And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, Paul, he's writing kind of as a pastor to them. You know, there's situations right now, and we all face these things in our life. You may be having some of these situations right now. You have a falling out with one of your best friends, or perhaps somebody, one of your coworkers, uh, kind of did some things behind your back and took credit for things that you did, and, and it's eating you up on the inside. And it's the kind of stuff when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, when everything gets quiet, <laughs> all of a sudden... You can't sleep because this anxiety is eating you up. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody been there last night? Okay. <laughs> and Paul is saying, you've got, you've got opportunity right now to be anxious, to, to, to be staying up all night with these things. Because for the Philippian church to follow Jesus meant you might not get that job promotion. You might... Uh, have problems in your marriage. You might have some things going on where, where you're not prospering. It might be a very hard road for you. And he says, but don't, don't, don't fall into that. Don't be anxious, but in everything, your petitions, your prayer requests, let it be given in a spirit of thanksgiving. See, one of the, I think one of the biggest neglected um, spiritual disciplines we, we could, that I see is, is just being thankful you know, the discipline of just being thankful. You know, last year, I, I'm, I'm coming up on a, a one-year anniversary of sorts. Um, last year, a crazy thing happened with me. If y'all were around here, it, it was right around the time we were doing Bag Hunger. I had a, a heart attack. Did not see it coming. Didn't, there wasn't any heart disease in my immediate family. Never had any problems. I was exercising all the time. I just, then all of a sudden, I got a 99% blockage in this, thing called a widow maker which is not a it does not a good name uh 
<laughs> and um, the more I find out about what I suffered through, uh, it wasn't a lot of suffering, but the more I find out about it, I, I realize, wow, I, I very well could have died last year. And really saw God show up in the midst of it and uh, got a stint put in my heart, made it out a, a few days later from St. Tammany Hospital. Uh, it was still a very surreal experience because I did not see it all coming. But I was happy to be alive. I felt like, wow, I made it through. That's cool. But then about a month later, we get back from a little vacation, you know, because the doctor was like, you might want to take it easy for a little while. So um, uh, we, we went out of town for a week and stayed with my dad. And I was just really chilled out. We get back and I get the bill. And I opened up the bill and I almost had a second heart attack because <laughs> it was $93,000. And, um, and, and long story short, we, I mean, we'd, we'd been trying to get insurance and we, we, we had money to get insurance, but kept getting denied. So it wasn't like... Uh, Anyway, that, that, so I, I about had a second heart attack. And I'm sitting there, immediately, like, anxiety starts to well up within my soul. And uh, I, I'm like, Dina, go get me a stiff drink. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm, I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I could, I could really see all the dreams that we had, you know, of we'd been trying to get out of debt for years, live right, live under a budget, all that Dave Ramsey stuff. All, you know, we're, we're trying to do that. And then all of a sudden... Add $93,000 on top. I'm like, I could just see everything fading. Like all the things that we kind of hoped that we could do is gone. But I love what Dina says. Dina has to kind of slap me back into reality sometimes. She's like, Crispin, this is like so far out of reach. I mean, this is, this is, this is nowhere even, why are we even going to worry about it? It's like, it's not like a few thousand dollars. I mean, if it was $5,000, we could worry, but it's just useless. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. And um, long story short, they had this compassion program that we applied for. And, and I'm thinking that this program was uh, probably some committee in the hospital that would review cases and stuff. So I spend all day employing my best writing skills ever to, to write this compelling letter to, to the board of whoever at St. Tammany Hospital. And I'm like, you know, just, just putting the final touches on it. And I finally submit our application for this program to the lady. She goes, that's a beautiful letter you wrote, but... Um, She's like, most of this is done by a computer program. <laughs> and I didn't know how to write code. Um, <laughs> so she, she crunched the numbers for me, and she said, well, according to, to all this stuff, I, I think the best you can hope for is maybe 40% of the bill being written off, maybe, maybe 50% if you're lucky. And I'm like, okay. And uh, long story short, we, we get to November 1st, and I get a call from the hospital that day. She says, they have agreed to uh, wipe out the entire balance, $93,000. So I felt like not only had I cheated death, I won the lottery uh, all in the scope of a couple of months. And uh, so that day, after I got finished jumping around the house, you know, doing my end zone dance and stuff, uh, I'm like, God, what do I do here? I, I don't know how, like, like I, I'm... I'm I'll write the hospital a thank you card. I, I wrote the cardiologist a thank you card, but I'm like, I feel like I don't even know who to thank here. And it was kind of like a, a frustrating thing. Like I've just been shown this amazing grace and I'm thanking God. I'm like, what do I do? And, and, and I really felt like God brought me back to in the Old Testament when God would do something in people's lives. Like Abraham, Abraham would, would build a, a, a pillar, an altar. And, and that way, every time he passed by that thing, he could remember, that's how God showed up back then. 
And so I thought, you know, we need to commemorate, commemorate this day somehow. So when Dean and the kids got home, I said, we're, we're, we're starting a new family uh, tradition, and we're going to celebrate this every November 1st. It's called God Takes Care of the Schroeder's Day. And so we went out for some Chinese food that night, and we sat around the table, and we just began as a family to talk about all the ways that God has taken care of us over the years. And it, it really, as we began, it, it, when you just sit down and you begin reflecting on, you know, remember that time when we didn't have rent and we didn't know, we had no money, and God came in? Remember when we didn't have this or that and God came in? Remember how God's put us back together, how God's touched on those issues in our heart? And, and we, we began talking through all these things, and you get done with that, and all of a sudden, you, it's kind of like that song we sang this morning, you know, Oh, magnify the Lord. All of a sudden, you see God as large and in charge. You realize that even in the midst of hard things, God was really working. You ever have to just kind of look back and go, wow, I didn't realize God was in that. But now looking back on it, wow, God, you were you were in that whole thing. Because I was asking God, I was like, God, why didn't why didn't I have the heart attack like six months before when I had health insurance? Why didn't we do that? But I felt like God took me back to the thing he told us when the day we decided to church plant. He gave us a scripture uh, out of Matthew where Jesus says, don't worry about your food, your clothing, all those things. It's all important. Don't worry about it. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to take it. And I felt like that was one thing before we ever jumped out into this thing. God told me, just seek first my kingdom. I, I got you. And so we saw that. You know, there's times actually in our marriage Back in the early days, uh, we, we were both in college. We had our first daughter, Tevia. Uh, I guess I was still in college. You weren't in college anymore. And, uh, but we were consistently making, for a couple of years, several thousand dollars below the poverty line in Louisiana, which is probably below the poverty line in other places. <laughs> it's like we're probably fighting with Mississippi for the lowest poverty line. <laughs> and I don't know how we made it. And there were times where... All my, I was playing music, which you don't make much money doing that, uh, at least at my level, and, uh, and doing some landscaping. And, and there would be some months where all the work would just dry up. I was trying to work. And there was times where we had the opportunity to get very anxious about things. And me and Dina, you know, we actually, we, we've done this several times in our marriage. When we get to this place, we just start walking around the house. <laughs> we go... That couch, God gave us that couch. We didn't pay for that thing. Somebody, somebody had an extra couch and they gave us it. And what about that TV? And what about these, these plates here? You know, and we, we realized that, that in the midst of everything, in the midst of making money that we shouldn't have been able to survive on, we were always taken care of. We always had enough money. We always had everything we needed. We didn't lack. I mean, it wasn't just like getting by either. Like we always... We always could party a little bit, too. We could always have a little fun, you know? <laughs> and we start walking around, and we start seeing all the ways that God has taken care of us. And, and, and when we do that, what do we do? We start magnifying God. We start putting our circumstances, our anxieties back where they need to be. It's not that those things don't matter. I mean, Jesus, Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask. But he says to ask him. But we... What we do is we, we, we see God for how big he is and we see our problems in the right perspective. See, if, if we just 
present our request to God without being thankful or without rejoicing, we, we run the risk of getting into idolatry of our wants and needs. You ever do that? You, you ever just got so many, like, God, i got this whole list of things I need you to show up and answer. You ever like that before? If you just come to God like that, it's kind of like my, my own kids coming to me all whiny and complaining. That doesn't really make me want to do anything for them. Dad, please give me this. I want that. I, you know. Little clue, kids. Uh, <laughs> uh. Romans 1 the Apostle Paul writes, he says, Although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul is saying when we know who God is, but we cease to glorify Him as God, we cease to be thankful. That's the first steps down the road to idolatry. And you can take anything that you really want or need. You may, you may need a job. You may need a, a raise. You may need God to do something in your marriage. You, you may be estranged from, from, from your spouse. You, you may have some real things. But if you're not in a place of rejoicing, acknowledging who God is, being thankful, and just trusting in Him, you are liable to make an idol out of that thing. And all of a sudden, you look to that outcome as your God. If this will work out, then I'll be happy. Well, that's, that's idolatry. And Paul says that's, that's the road to foolishness. Paul says in everything when we pray, let it be from a place of thankfulness. Let it be in rejoicing. Psalm 37. Psalmist writes, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envy of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. Kind of like Paul, the psalmist is saying, there's times, do you ever feel like, you ever feel like the psalmist, and and the psalmist, David and and company, they, they always write about these things. Man, it looks like the corrupt politicians keep getting elected. The guy in my office who who is not doing things ethically, he's the one who keeps getting the promotions. It seems like the bad guys are always winning, but the psalmist says, no. No matter what it looks like out there, trust in God. Delight in Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He's saying that that when we delight in God, it's not a formula, by the way. It's not like I'm going to give God delight and He'll give me my desires. But as we delight in God, as we rejoice in Him, as we're thankful, God begins to set our desires right. We begin to, to really, our desires begin to align with His desires, and we're changed. The last thing that Paul says in here, he says that... Uh, it says, with everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul's saying, when we live a life that is thankful, when we live a life that is stepping back from, from what we see and just acknowledging the gift of God and God's gifts in our lives, when, when we live that way over time, it, it provides us protective barrier in our hearts our hearts the core of our being is protected our minds our thoughts begin to be set right and protected and so that anxiety that that stuff that would would take us down at one time now now we find even our very thoughts are beginning to be protected 
we find a peace that's, that's even bigger than our understanding. See, that's, that's the thing. I, in, in my years as a Christian, I've seen some people go through stuff I don't ever want to go through. I don't see how anybody could. I just don't understand how you can go through some things. And yet they've gone through it. And they come out the other side, and they're, they're, still, they're still okay. And they still love God. You know what that is? That's a peace that's bigger than your understanding. That's a peace that, that surpasses your intellect. It's bigger than something you can figure out. And that's the stuff that comes from living the way Paul is saying. You may have heard this story before, but there was a logger back in the 1800s. And his son was killed at the age of four by scarlet fever. Shortly after that, he had a lot of real estate holdings in the Chicago area, but it was, it was right about the time of the great Chicago fire, and he loses all of his real estate holdings. So his, he loses his only son, then he loses most of his, his business outside of law. And so in the midst of all this hard time, he just says, look, I'm sending my wife and my four daughters. I, I want to send y'all to, to England for a, a holiday. Y'all get away. Y'all go and enjoy things. But on their way across the Atlantic Ocean, their ship runs into another ship and begins to sink. And this, this, his wife had to see as, as the, the waters carried away their, their young daughter and, and, and their other three daughters as well. And she only survived by clinging to a piece of debris. He gets the message back in the United States and immediately finds the next ship growing across the ocean. And, and he gets on it to go and comfort his wife. And when he's halfway across the ocean, they come to the spot and the captain tells him, hey, this is, this is where the wreck happened. And in that moment, all oh, the sorrow and grief begins to well up on the inside. And he, he gets a pen and a paper and he just starts talking to God. And this is what he writes. He says... When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. There's a guy named Horatio Spatford who wrote that song. And, and how many people over the years, I mean, even this morning, how many of y'all, when we were singing that song, does it resonate with you? Do you feel like in the middle of your being, no matter whatever you're going through right now, that God is giving you his peace on the inside? That's what Paul is getting at. That God, everything's not always going to be all right in life. We are going to face hardship. Paul faced hardships like none of us want to face. But God gives us his presence, his peace in the midst of that. And even in the midst of that, God will cause something to rise out of it that will begin to carry other people just the way this song might be carrying you this morning as we sing it. This morning as we close, I want to invite Mary back up here. And I just want us to take a few moments to just get quiet on the inside. I know in our, our subconscious minds right now, we're probably not aware of everything going on. But, but that at this moment, we could step back and say, just God, let me be aware of your presence with me right now. Let me be aware of your nearness. 
let me be aware of your peace. Let me just reflect on your goodness. Let me reflect on the gift of life that you've given, all the amazing things you've done. Let's just open our hearts to think on God for a moment. You may want to write something down. You may just want to close your eyes. But let's just be with the Lord in these remaining minutes.
God, we, we thank you this morning that our lives truly are in your hands, God. No matter what we may be facing today, no matter if it's sickness or disease, no matter if things may seem to be falling apart in our marriage, or whether we're facing financial stress and pressure, relational conflict, God. Lord, no matter, Lord, we acknowledge that you are up to something even in the midst of that. Even in the midst of that, God, that you are moving. Lord, we just declare that our lives are in your hands today, Lord. God, we we receive your peace this morning, God. We we open up our hands. We open up our hearts, God. We we just let go, Lord. We relax. We just breathe you in, Lord. We trust you. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you. We trust that, that our lives are in your hands and, and no matter what it looks like, God, you are with us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All this pain I wonder if I'll ever find my way I wonder if my life could really change at all All this earth Could all that is lost ever be found Could a garden be